0: One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light.
1: On the last few episodes of revealing the true light, we've been covering a very intriguing subject, the revelation of angels. But this subject can also be controversial in certain areas. And on this episode, we're going to cover one of those controversial issues. Can we, as human beings, communicate with angels? Should we seek angelic encounters? Should we attempt to initiate conversations with them? I recently read an article insisting that we can and should, written by a charismatic author. And according to that author, the key to Engaging the angelic world is proactively seeking the kingdom by utilizing something she called godly imagination. Now, get that in your mind godly imagination. Doing this supposedly primes the pump, enabling us to enter a valid and real visionary experience. So, it's like you get the ball rolling and then God enters into the picture. Is this pure biblical truth or an erroneous approach that can also be found in New Age spirituality? Absolutely. When I was involved in the New Age 50 years ago, angel encounters were the big thing in many circles. So we've got to draw a line of distinction between truth and error, between what is biblical and what is non-biblical, and we cannot be moved by what is just experiential as opposed to what is foundational in the word of God. First of all though, let me emphasize something that I am not interested in slamming or bashing anyone who may believe different than me on this particular subject. I feel that the person whose article I read is a very sincere believer and lover of God. Even though she holds some opinions that I disagree with, I agree with her passion to serve God, to love God, and to base her life on the Bible. So this podcast is a loving appeal to her and anyone like her, that maybe we should reconsider what we think concerning angels and our relationship with them. It is true that God uses angels to direct us, to guide us, to instruct us, and to protect us. There's plenty of scriptures that relate that. In Hebrews chapter 1, the Bible says that heirs of salvation receive ministering spirits that minister for us and minister to us. And God created these ministering spirits for that role. How amazing is that? And then everyone loves the Psalm 91 passage that he gives his angels charge over us to bear us up in their hands lest we dash our foot against a stone. And of course, in 2 Kings chapter 6, Elisha prays that God will open the eyes of his servant because there's an army coming up through the valley, and it looks like they're going to be overwhelmed, overpowered by this oncoming group of soldiers. And yet, when God opened the servant's eyes, he saw angels everywhere, chariots of fire everywhere. And he found out, as Elisha commented, that there are more for us than there are against us. So, There is a lot of angelic activity that we're unaware of because our eyes are not open. So maybe we need to pray that God will open our eyes. But we can't do that ourselves by the power of our own will. The opening of eyes spiritually is something God does at his choice. We can pray for it. We can ask, we can believe, we can claim promises, but ultimately it is God who pulls back the veil and enables us to see into supernatural things. Now, the Creator has intentionally made angels miraculously and amazingly capable of shuttling back and forth between the supernatural realm and the natural, the celestial world and the earthly plane. Sometimes they are seen, but most of the time they are unseen. Jesus informed Nathaniel, there's going to be a time when you see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man, referring to himself. And also that was a way of relating back to the story of Jacob's ladder, the ladder reaching from earth to heaven, and angels of God ascending and descending on it that the great patriarch saw in his dream. So maybe that was Jesus's way of inferring that he was Jacob's ladder in a sense, that he was the ladder connecting the two worlds, earth and heaven, and that there would be great angelic activity involved in that connecting link that is all about Jesus. And so wherever you find Jesus being preached you find angels ascending and descending. I believe that. I can infer that from scripture. I don't deny these things. However, I have some serious reservations about some things that are being taught in certain charismatic Pentecostal circles. In fact, in this particular article I read concerning communicating with angels, she said that some of this may sound new age. So she admitted that. Some of this may sound new age. However, she went on, Titus 1 15 tells us that to the pure, all things are pure. So when I talk about interacting with angels, that does not sound new age at all to me. Instead, it sounds like Zechariah. It sounds like Daniel. It sounds like Jesus in the gospels. It sounds like John in the book of Revelation. I agree. In all of those books, you find all kinds of stories of angelic manifestations and interventions, but does Titus one fifteen justify using a method that is non-biblical, or does it sanctify a New Age approach to the pure? All things are pure. Does that mean anything I do is pure if I have a pure motive, a pure heart, or are we extrapolating out of that scripture something that was not intended. It's a good statement, but I don't think Christians are called to redeem false spiritual methods. Ponder that for just a moment. I don't believe Christians are called to redeem false spiritual methods. Would I encourage people to do yoga and to meditate on the chakras? supposed chakras or energy centers, but just be sure they quote the Lord's Prayer while they do it. Absolutely not. 50 years ago, I was involved in yoga and meditation, and I found all of those concepts to be false. I would never visit that place again, expecting to find spiritual reality. Would I encourage people to use angel cards, which are very similar to the dangerous and demonic tarot cards that some people use, and then just quote Titus 115 and say, to the pure, all things are pure, so I can use these angel cards, and it will be all right. No, that's witchcraft. That's divination. It's not something you find in the Bible under the authority of what God has communicated in his word. Would I attend a seance and then try to contact my dead relatives and justify my behavior by saying Titus one fifteen says, to the pure, all things are pure. So because I have a pure heart in this matter, I can contact someone a thousand times no, because the Bible very clearly speaks against necromancy, which is attempting to contact the dead. And the reason God forbid his people to involve themselves in that is because he wanted to prevent them from spiritual deception. He wanted to keep them from being under the influence of demonic spirits that would lead them astray. He wasn't trying to deny them a legitimate experience. There's a veil between the realm of those who have passed on and the realm of those who are living in the natural world. And you can't just decide to penetrate that veil. And there's a veil between you and I and the angelic world, and you cannot make the decision on your own to initiate an angelic encounter. It's not scripturally sound to do that. Well, the question is asked in this article that I read, where does God say not? to initiate angelic encounters. We know that we can't build an argument from scriptural silence. That was the logic, that we cannot build an argument from scriptural silence, because there's no place in the Bible where God expressly says that we cannot initiate an angelic encounter. But there's no place in the Bible that says we can initiate an angelic encounter not that i've found oh you can kind of twist scriptures to seem like they might be saying that but there's no place where it's very clearly spoken that we can i would insist that that neither of those uh, is really supported by a lot of scripture that in detail describes what is or is not allowed but there are plenty of scriptural references we can draw from and reach some sound conclusions. Also, under that particular heading, it was offered that pastors are only mentioned once in the Bible. Did you know that? The word pastors is only mentioned once in the Bible. At least that's what the article said. It's not true in the King James Version anyway. It's not true. But angels, according to the writer, are mentioned 365 times. Does this mean that we should not initiate conversation with our pastors since there's no verse that tells us we can do that? Well, that's kind of a strange line of logic. If we are allowed to initiate conversations with pastors, then we're allowed to initiate conversations with angels. I don't think that point A... And point B, have a straight line in between them. Pastors are human, or at least they're supposed to be. (laughs) Unfortunately, we are with a lot of human-like struggles and feelings and emotions. But angels are not humans. They're celestial beings. And so there's got to be a different set of rules between the two. You don't attempt to jump into a conversation with a cherub just because you decide to. Or you don't decide you're going to have a conversation with one of the 24 elders because uh, you sit with Christ in heavenly places and the 24 elders are there and so you have a right to talk to them and you start just speaking into the air expecting to communicate to 24 elders that are in heaven. No, I believe the persons who think they can do that are walking into dark deception. I do want to mention though that the English word that is translated pastors in Ephesians, where he talked about how Jesus ascended on high and he gave gifts to men, and among those gifts are apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. Well, the the, uh, word translated pastors there is "poimain." And it's only found one time in the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter 4, but is found eight other times in the New Testament, translated shepherd. For instance, the shepherds that were there in the fields the night the angel came and announced the birth of the Son of God. That's that word poimain, translated pastors in Ephesians 4. Or when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. That was the word poimain. He could have just as easily said, I'm a good pastor, because a pastor is supposed to be a shepherd, and a shepherd is someone constantly aware of the condition of his or her sheep. So that's a mute point as far as this particular argument is concerned, because I don't think you can compare communicating with pastors with communicating with angels. That's just not a logical sequence of thought. Now, this is an important and interesting point that is made in the article that I read, and I'm quoting, I'm quoting right now. In fact, God tells us to resist the devil and to cast out demons. And these are direct scriptural commands to speak with angels as Satan is a fallen angel. We seem to have no trouble with spiritual warfare, which is essentially an angel focused ministry. We have focused exclusively on the fallen instead of the faithful and should give at least as much attention to God's holy angels as well. I thought that was a very interesting point and I concede it's a good point that we have no problem initiating a conversation with the demonic powers that are infesting the soul of a person or with Satan himself if we happen to have a confrontation with the devil himself. And I don't believe we can initiate conversation with the devil himself because I don't believe he's around every one of us all the time. He's not omnipresent. There's over two billion people in the world and if every one of them is holding a conversation with the devil, and thinking that the devil is communicating to them, they're self-deceived because Satan cannot be over two billion places at once. He'd have to be omnipresent and omniscient. But we are told to rebuke the devil, or to resist the devil, rather, and he will flee from us. I've had one really powerful visitation where Satan came to me, and I say powerful because it was powerful in the way the Holy Spirit moved on me in that encounter, but I didn't initiate it. It was in the middle of the night. I woke up, and there Satan was standing at the foot of my bed. I was paralyzed. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't even talk, and thank God the Holy Spirit came to my rescue, and I felt The surge of God's power flow through me as I rebuked the devil. Now, he didn't look like people say he's supposed to look. He didn't have red skin, a pitchfork. He didn't have horns. He didn't have a long red tail with a pointy end to it. He looked very handsome, swarthy, dark complexion, dark black hair, long black cloak. And the Holy Spirit spoke out of me. Even though I couldn't open my mouth, I heard the sound of my own voice in this vision. It was a God-given vision. I did nothing to initiate the experience. And in the vision, I heard the sound of my own voice say, I conquer you, Satan, through the precious blood of Jesus. It is impossible for you to win. Up until that point, he had a smirking grin on his face as if to say, I have authority over you and you can't say or do anything to resist me. But when I mentioned the blood, This look of terror came on his face. And then the Holy Spirit rose up in me again. And I said, I conquer you, Satan, through the precious blood of Jesus. It is impossible for you to win. And that's when his eyes started melting into his cheeks. His whole face started melting into his neck. And I said it a third time, even more forcefully and more powerfully. And his whole head melted into his chest. And then his chest melted down into his legs. And I never saw him again never have seen him again. It's, it's been over 25 years now. Think of that. So yes, I talked to a fallen angel, to Satan, and it was a vision from God, or at least it was a visionary experience that God got involved in. So I do not negate the fact that people can have these experiences, but once again, I wasn't probing around in the spirit world trying to have some kind of experience. Demons invade people's lives at their will. That's different. That's much different than angels who are motivated by God's will. See, yes, we are commanded to cast out devils, cast out demons, take authority over them, engage with them until we drive them out of people's lives. But they're trespassers. And we're called of God to do that, and we're commanded by God to do that, but we are not commanded by God to initiate conversations with angels. Now, here's another point that was made in the article. Initiating angelic conversation was done by several biblical heroes. Scripture declares angels encamp about us and guard us in all our ways, so they are always with us. And that's actually out of the Psalms where it says, the angel of the Lord camps round about those who fear him to deliver them. And that may or may not be talking about angels as a group, the the host of God, because it's in the singular, the angel of the Lord camps round about those who fear him. And so that's very likely a term for the pre-incarnate Christ in that particular Psalm. Uh, just like it was in the burning bush with Moses. The angel of the Lord spoke out of the bush and said, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And so that was no ordinary angel. It's the Hebrew word "malach," which is translated angel and messenger. But sometimes it refers to the eternal image of the invisible God, the image of the Godhead, who was not known as Jesus then, but that was the pre-incarnate Christ. But anyway, these men spoke to the angels with them first. Now her point in this article is that all of these men initiated a conversation. Now I'm not going to go into all these scriptures. It would take way too long. And I really want to bring this to a close pretty quickly. But I am going to give you the scriptural references, and they'll be in the notes that are associated with the podcast on cpnshows.com. So you can go there and get the scripture references, and it will be included in an article that I have on the website. But these are the biblical individuals that supposedly initiated a conversation with angels. Zechariah, in Zechariah chapter 1, verse 7 through chapter 6, verse 15, that whole section of his book is one angelic encounter after another. And she states that in Zechariah 1, nine, he talked to the angel first, but it was in a visionary experience that he did not create himself. He was given that visionary experience by God. He saw the angel and started the conversation. He wasn't, outside of a supernatural experience, exploring around in the spirit realm, trying to connect with an angel. He didn't initiate it that way. Then Daniel, Daniel chapter seven, verses 15 through 28, chapter eight, verses 13 through 27, chapter nine, verses 20 through chapter 10, verse 21. These are extensive angelic conversations in the book of Daniel. And supposedly, according to the article, he initiated the conversation first. It's true that in the visionary experience he had, he spoke first and then the angel uh, responded. But again, he wasn't doing anything mystical or esoteric in order to have an angelic encounter. It came at the will of God. John the Revelator, the same thing in in John's fantastic book, the book of Revelation, encountered an angel in chapter 10 verses 9 and 10, and initiated the conversation and interaction with the angel. He spoke first. But again, John wasn't trying to have an angelic encounter. It was part of the vision that God gave him. Abraham saw three men coming his direction. And in that case, those men were angels assuming a human form. And I believe the the third man, there were two angels that afterward went to Sodom, to rescue Lot. I believe the third form was the Lord himself. Again, a Christophany or appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. Anyway, he spoke to the angels first, but that was an interruption in his life unexpectedly. He wasn't trying to have a spiritual experience. All of a sudden he looks up and these beings are walking his direction. Sure, he spoke first, but that doesn't mean he entered into that experience by the power of his human will. It was God's will. And then, of course, Lot. None of these Bible characters were doing anything focused on contacting angels when these visitations took place. They were either unexpected interruptions, or they took place during a bona fide vision from God. And when I say bona fide, a lot of what people say are visions from God are self-created. So they were in a a bona fide vision from God, either a waking vision or a night vision, which is a dream from God. But never did they try to make it happen through something called godly imagination, which is what I'm going to get to next. This is where I get really uncomfortable because I think this is where people can get really deceived. And I'm not trying to be mean or critical. I'm concerned. I'm very concerned that there's false teaching going on in the body of Christ with regard to angels. Now, listen to this statement, and I quote from the article. John used his godly imagination to precipitate a visionary encounter in Revelation chapter 4. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus shows him a door, and then the vision ends, and he is no longer in spirit. So, in order to get in spirit and begin having another supernatural vision, he uses his previous vision as a stepping stone. And we see this in Revelation 4, verse 1, as John decides to picture a door using his godly imagination. He is not in spirit. This is not a vision. Then, after he primes the pump, God takes over And in verse 2, we see that he is, again, in the spirit. At this point in verse 2, his godly imagination is transformed into a supernatural vision. The door disappears, and now God is showing him the throne room. I don't know where you get that from those verses. First of all, Chapters and verses did not exist in that book originally. That didn't happen till much later on. So there's no division between the two chapters showing some kind of transition. Also, the way we prime the pump spiritually is to imagine something supernatural or angelic, and then the imaginary blends into reality. I don't accept that. I don't accept that God is manipulated by our imagination into subjecting himself to what we want to envision and then creating a legitimate bona fide vision out of our imagination. Practices like that are setting people up for deception. I was in a charismatic group at the beginning of my walk with God. I told you I'd mention this at the end. And we often tried to see in the spirit. We'd have prayer meetings five hours every night, and we were constantly asking each other what we saw in the Spirit. And we would close our eyes and be praying in the Holy Ghost and praying in tongues, seeking God, and peering into the Spirit realm. You're setting yourself up to create imaginary things that are not necessarily from God. We expected it, but a lot of the prophetic utterances we gave proved to be wrong because we were just joyously but wrongly dubbing them communications from God. We we thought we were seeing things, but hey, I can just mention something. Close your eyes right now, and I can say the word banana, and you see a banana in your mind. Human imagination is very capable of creating the most fantastic kind of images that we can then dub, thus saith the Lord. I'm very careful about what I say, thus saith the Lord to. And I believe there's a lot of error in the area of angels. You hear people say, oh, there's an angel in the room. Well, sometimes I truly sincerely believe that I sense the presence of an angel in the room. My wife has had an encounter with an angel that took on a physical form. I told that in the last episode. Fantastic story. You should listen to it. I've never had an encounter with a physical angel. I have seen an angel in a dream and I got a communication from God that was powerful. But even though I felt the presence of angels, maybe during a meeting where people were getting healed or supernatural things were happening, I never tried to see some 10 foot figure in front of me and then try and describe it using my human imagination to prime the pump. I don't think that's a safe way of doing things. So let me sum it up. It's taken longer than I expected. Can we communicate with angels? Yes, we can. Yes, yes, we can. If God is the author of the experience through a vision, through a dream, through some kind of supernatural appearance, if the angel commissioned by God appears to us, whether we start the conversation or not, we can communicate with angels if God is the author of the experience. Can we initiate encounters with angels and start the conversations at our will? Absolutely not. No, not unless we are in a God-given vision or a God-given dream and we're not creating images through an overactive imagination. I want truth. I'm not trying to criticize or hurt anyone's feelings, and I'm sure I have friends that may believe differently than what I've just said, but charismatics are notoriously good at creating supernatural happenings sometimes when God doesn't author them in order to satisfy this insatiable thirst we have for spiritual things. And it's a good thing to be thirsty for the spiritual. It's a better thing to be thirsty for truth. And if spiritual things happen associated with truth, that's wonderful. And I'd personally rather have it that way, wouldn't you?
0: Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shree's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global Internet family.